0: Welcome to Career
1: Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on her career. Joining us for Career Day is one of my favorite content marketers and a fellow podcast host. Jillian Bowen is the producer and host of the Content Fix podcast, which is, well, it's a podcast about content marketing. She's got a wide variety of experiences in the content space, and you're going to love this interview. Okay. Here's our interview with producer and host of the Content Fix podcast, Jillian Bowen. Jillian, welcome to the MarTech podcast.
2: Benjamin, I'm so glad to be here. And now we are going to go Aussie and call you Ben. So thanks for having me.
1: I've been called much worse either way, just as long as people realize that I'm not the political commentator podcaster, just the marketing guy. But Jillian, I'm excited to have you on the show. I was a guest on your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just going to get this out of the way. While we were recording my episode on your podcast, my cat ran through a hole in the wall and got stuck, and we ended up having to cut her out of the wall of my new house. Tell everyone, is that something that normally happens on podcasts?
2: Oh, absolutely. Every week, whether it's a cat in the wall, a child in the wall, we've had plumbers in the wall. No, <laughs> That was a first for me. It was a highlight for me. And I have to say, I got a message from someone I respect tremendously right after they had listened to it saying, you guys hit that out of the park. And I think it just was because we had a great story, crazy story, but a great story that threaded through the whole podcast.
1: Well, I'm happy to report that Brisket, our friendly kitty here at the Ben J. Schapp, LLC podcast network headquarters, <laughs> i.e. my home office, is doing just fine, was rescued out of the wall, and then she immediately went and hid behind the washer and dryer. That said, today's not about Brisket. It's not about your little puppy who I see behind you on the video chat, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about you, your background. How'd you get into marketing?
2: I'm going to work my way backwards. I like to think of myself as the corporate cubicle survivor because where I am right now is so far from where I started and I'm now in my own business and actually transitioning to my own business, but I'll come back to that. I started out like everybody else. I finished school. I went to university, college, as you would probably call it. I got a psych degree and I got a job in PR. And I earned the monthly check. I thought it was amazing. I went from this sort of young'un to being incredibly ambitious. So I rose up really quickly. And as I was going through it, digital marketing started to emerge. So when I started, there really wasn't digital marketing to the point that showing my age here for a minute, we shared an email address (laughs) in my first job. There was just one. And digital marketing started to emerge and I have always been one of those people that zags when other people are zigging and I just went, this is exciting, I'm getting into it. And I jumped in very quickly and so I was able to get fairly senior corporate jobs very quickly because I was one of the few people that actually understood social media and digital. So I went into big agencies like the Clemenger Group and in-house corporate. So that was my original journey. So
1: you started off working a, dare I say, J-O-B in PR. Talk to me about some of the lessons that you gained early in your career that are relevant to what you're doing in content marketing today from your experience in PR.
2: Never give up perseverance, the, the big thing I learned out of PR was A, it wasn't nearly as fun as it looked on paper. It sounded like such a fun career and it was actually not nearly as interesting. It had more of a sales leaning in my mind than the writing and the creativity that I was looking for because you were always pitching. You were always trying to get the story across the line with the media. And that is hard work, particularly when you've got something that's not as interesting as other things. And a lot of things out there, they're not great news stories. You've got to really work them and you've got to keep pushing. You've got to actually go, nobody's picked this up. How do I run at it at a different angle to get a bit of interest going? So that was my big lesson out of PR that sometimes it's really easy to give up on things. And I think in content marketing, that is a big risk a lot of people face because it often takes two, three, a hundred goes to work out where that sweet spot is with what people want to hear about in their content.
1: That's funny. Whenever anybody asked me about my early stage career, I had the worst sales job coming out of college. I was going door to door and trying to get businesses to change from one phone provider to another pre-cell phones. At some point I was selling water coolers to businesses that probably didn't need them (laughs) in an area that wasn't very hot. It was just miserable. But the thing that I learned going through sales was the numbers game and perseverance and to not take rejection too personally. And as I've developed in my career, A, you sort of learn how to play the long game from dealing with a lot of negativity and a lot of rejection at first, but also it helps you understand when you start branching out and taking on more responsibility that a lot of, you know, shooters got to shoot and you have to keep shooting your shots to have it eventually go in. You mentioned that you moved from public relations to social media and digital marketing in the early days. Tell me a little bit about the landscape and environment when you started working in social media. What were you doing?
2: I was actually working with a brand that was called Girl Mobile, GRL. It was a cell phone network for women. And classic, interesting marketing story in that one in that it had been pitched to women as pink. Do I need to continue to say that it didn't work?
1: Because women are the only people that like pink and pink is the only color for women. I'm obviously kidding. There was a man who made this decision, wasn't there?
2: (laughs) It was actually a woman. It was pink. It came bundled with Britney Spears perfume and all those things. So in those days, that was one of my first big social media gigs. And Facebook was still relatively new. We did a lot of integration, which was quite forward thinking at those points, because we would have big activations at music festivals and fashion festivals. And then we would connect it all back into Facebook and create galleries of some of the people there with our team who are activating at the event. And I actually think it was quite progressive because in those days, that multi-channel integration was still coming together in the digital world. But the real difference was if we posted on Facebook, people saw it.
1: Yeah, obviously, the organic traffic from Facebook has dried up on the way of the dodo bird. And that's sort of the trend of social platforms, TikTok being the new one that's coming up where, hey, everybody can get organic value out of TikTok. Let's see how long that lasts. I give it another year
2: but is your audience on TikTok? Let's just go back a step. I am going crazy over this TikTok thing because I love a new platform, but everyone's going, oh, what should I do about TikTok? And it's like, well, it's not what you should do about TikTok. It's what should you do about your audience? Where is your audience? Go where they are. Stop trying to follow the latest trend.
1: I 100% hear you. And let's talk a little bit about that. As you branched out from working in social media, you took some of your PR experiences, you're doing some omni-channel Eventually, you work your way into content marketing. Talk to me about that transition.
2: It was pretty much a natural transition because my philosophy, even before I could define it this way, my philosophy was always first comes to audience. The thing about that is that social was one thing, but there was only so much depth you could really get in social. So there was less of a value proposition in it for me. And I was looking for ways that you could really add value to the audience where they are, where their needs are rather than where your desire is. And I see a lot of content where people are 10 steps ahead of their audience. And social was a great conversation. It was a great engagement. But getting that additional depth by actually using social to connect with something stronger was the big appeal to me, that you could start adding value where the audience is right now, what they want, what they need. That then takes them on the journey with you so frankly what you want to sell what you want to achieve with your business
1: so you have an underlying principle for content marketing which is you have to focus on creating content and putting it the place that your audience is as you went along your career journey tell me some of the steps that you took to cultivate that understanding of content marketing you were working on the girl phone or was girl mobile, the Britney Spears <laughs> phone, whatever it may be. and girl. Girl.
2: And the CEO used to do that. She used to go, girl. And I used to, grrr. we do things to earn money, people. It's okay. We all sell out occasionally. As long as we come back to the place we're happy, that's the important thing.
1: Agreed. So tell me a little bit more about some of the steps that you took. What were some of your other career journeys before you decided to branch out on your own and get into podcasting?
2: I spent probably seven and a half years working with a big accounting organization in Australia. You know what? I'm going to make a confession right here, right now. I took the job for the money. Uh Uh-oh. 100%. What's that like? (laughs) There's always a benefit to a job that you take for the money, but when you sell your soul to the devil, you will ultimately pay the price. So there is no free ride. When you take a job for the money, you can actually be very, very clear on the fact that it's going to never be your passion. But the great thing about that is it really did give me the opportunity to hone my craft right from the beginning in that In-house content studios were not really a thing at that point. This was just coming on 10 years ago now and very few people were doing in-house content studios and I had the opportunity to come in from the bottom up looking at what that looks like to actually build a content offering in-house. So it started with just me and then had a podcast come into it very early on, which was amazing. And started having a podcast producer there and people who were doing purely writing or SEO, all of those things. And that ability to kind of build out that universe of people working together and see how that all happens. I couldn't ever have imagined that occurring. But of course, back to the fact that I did sell out, I was doing it because it was a well-paid job. I used to say to people, I love my work, not my job. So, the last couple of years were I would turn up and I would love the work I was doing, but I was, as a person, pretty unhappy. So there's a
1: couple of things that you said that really resonate with me. First off, everybody takes a job for the money. And actually, when I went into consulting, I had worked at a couple early stage startups, which I was really super passionate about. And they all kind of flamed out or for one reason or another didn't work. And I started consulting because I needed the money. I needed to find work to you know put food on the table and ended up finding a lot of career development and happiness out of the work I was doing because I got to be a little bit more impartial. Was there some part of you that enjoyed and felt a little freed working on something that wasn't necessarily a passion project because you got to have some distance from it or was it all just sludging through the mud?
2: 100% it wasn't as personal. So when something didn't work, the thing about being in corporate, the thing about any job where you've got a paycheck coming in, when something goes wrong, you don't have that slamming kick in your chest where you think, oh, they don't like me or this is about me. And when something goes wrong in that, yeah, okay, it's a setback and you have to recalibrate what you're doing, but it's not nearly as personal. So when you go into your own business, it feels personal. And maybe I'm a bit more sensitive than most people, probably not. I just like to think I'm probably more honest about it. But when we fail in our own business, it can be the difference between whether or not you can pay the electricity bill that month when you're starting out. So it's such a different situation.
1: Even if you're running your own business, which is something I've dabbled with for, I don't know, 10, 15 years at this point, even if the business is successful and making money, if something that you're working on that you're trying to prove is really important doesn't work, it can be very personal. Talk to me about the transition for you moving from the corporate gigs and working in something that you felt was a little soulless to, you know, something that you're very passionate about and have more ownership of now. How did you make the transition from the corporate J-O-B to working on your own?
2: I could talk this up and make it sound really sweet, but I got laid off and it wasn't a shock to me because I knew it was coming for about two years and that's how slow some corporates work.
1: No, hang on. Did you get laid off or did you get fired? Was it the company went through layoffs or it was just wasn't a good fit?
2: No, no, no. I got laid off.
1: That's the best thing that could happen to people.
2: I know. I knew this was coming for about two years because there was a huge restructure going through. And it was really interesting when I first met my partner, it was in the early days of that corporate job. And he used to always say to me, because he had what I would describe as, or I still describe as the admirable job. He helps build hospitals and it's like, could there be a more honorable profession? And I used to say to him, look, it never lasts. When you get to the top in any corporation, there's always someone behind you who wants what you've got and will be angling to get it. And it was a huge transition. It actually took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. So I was in the background preparing for it. I right down to the point that the day it happened, even though I wasn't told it was going to happen, I had anticipated this right to the point that I was sitting at my desk on the morning. I'd already spent the last two months clearing out my books, my shoes, everything that I kept in that fabulous corporate cubicle my bag was packed. I just sat at my desk for an hour waiting for the call and it came and I was really fortunate because not only was I laid off, because it was a layoff, I was given a payout. So I'd been there seven and a half years. I got long service leave. I got a retrenchment as we call it here in Australia. So I walked out of there with enough money to probably pay my bills for 12 months. If I was careful. Good God. Yes. So I was actually interviewing for other jobs before that. And then I had this big aha moment. I was basically about to be offered another very big head of content and social media job with a charity. And I stopped myself. and went, if you do this, A, you won't get the payout. And B, there's got to be a point where you've got to try. And could there be a better point than when someone's actually paying you to try? And in the three days after I was told this happened and I was finalizing everything and handing over, people would come up to me and go, oh, are you okay? And I couldn't stop smiling because I'm just going, I'm good.
1: I'm free at last.
2: I'm really good. And the CEO of the company actually, because a lot of people during this layoff period got pretty upset as you do. It's distressing. And even though I wanted it, I can even tell you it, it felt weird and I, I was really unsettled by it because you still feel a sense of rejection. But, I, you know, I like to think that maintain your dignity throughout even if people are behaving badly around you. And on the last day I was there, the CEO called me and said, can I speak to you? And he was a bit of an unusual fellow. He was relatively new there. We didn't know each other that well. And he pulled me aside to say, I just want to thank you for the dignity that you've shown during this process. And then he did this whole, you'll be okay. And I was just like, I know I'll be okay. I've got this.
1: I've got 12 months of runway to go figure out what I want to do. I'll be just fine. I want to get laid off in Australia. That sounds wonderful. As much as I joke and I, you know, I said, hey, getting laid off can be the best thing. Obviously, it can be a painful experience as well, mostly for people that don't see it coming or don't have the financial resources to be away from work for a while. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. It can also be liberating and help you find out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the process after going through a layoff where you invented essentially a new career. How did you get from working in a cubicle to what you're doing today?
2: First, I made some mistakes, as you always do. Tequila? (laughs) Vodka. No. No. I think that the first thing that happened was the insecurity kicked in. And I'd had it in my head that I wanted to do what I call a transition. So I wanted to get a part-time job just to get money coming in two days a week. So I created this long-term plan that was about two to three years and I had probably enough money to last one year. So I straight away went, I'm going to get a part-time job two days a week, and that will just help buffer me in that transition so that I don't actually run out of gas too quickly. But I did it a little too quickly and the part-time job I got was really badly paid and not a good idea. So I, by overreacting to the situation instead of just taking a breath and backing myself, I wasted probably the first six months just caught up in another round of still doing too much work for somebody else. But then I pulled back from that and I did something I don't normally do. And I just cut the ties. I cut the apron strings to that job really brutally. I just went, sorry, not for me and said, you know, I'm going to really focus on what I'm doing and I will now quietly, slowly look For what those other income streams will be so I can start building up. Then over the next few months, I started looking for those. I found a virtual client and I call that the first of my try transition And that was a nice little client that I could do anytime. And then I got asked if I wanted to start teaching and I thought, okay, that actually is a great way to do what I'm doing. And also be experimenting with what I'm actually offering out there in the world, because a lot of what I do is train people and do workshops and teach people. So actually taking a class, especially of young people, and they are all young people. One of them asked me if I was a baby boomer the other day, which I found (laughs) incredibly offensive. Not that I'd mind being a baby boomer, but I'm so not.
1: No offense to the baby boomers that are listening to this show.
2: It's not an offense thing to them, but I am not a baby boomer. So I sat there and went, clearly not getting enough sleep if you've just aged me a few more years.
1: It's a good way to fail your next test, kid. (laughs)
2: So that's where I ended up is I came up with this almost tri-transition, I call it. So I've got three areas I work on and that's been a really comfortable way to move further and further into my own business and add layers to it because I just feel like, and I need these, not everyone does, but I needed some safety zones around me so that I didn't actually give up too easily. I know I can give up because I get scared I get scared of spending money, I get scared of my business failing. So I did a little bit of a self-awareness exercise and put those things in place to stop myself doing that. So you put some
1: guidelines around helping you form a positive relationship with what you were doing for work. Tell me a little bit about what you're actually doing. What's the deliverables? What's the type of service that you provide?
2: How do I define that? I don't know. I think you have to tell me. (laughs) I think when you just said that, it's kind of the best thing about my life is people say, so what do you do? And I go, I can't actually answer that that easily, which is why I love it so much. So the bulk of what I do is obviously I am an online business. I do training in content marketing, social media with people. I do that in person and I do that via my own online digital products. So I have some people that ask me to put together webinars and workshops for in the corporate world. I have some people that ask me to put together podcasts and content marketing strategies for them. And then I have my own on-demand products that train other people.
1: So you have content marketing training assets that you're either providing digitally or you're giving in person and they're, they're webinars and I'm assuming some sort of course as well. And then uh, you mentioned the P word. You also have a podcast. Why are you sitting in front of a mic talking to strangers?
2: (laughs) Because that way I don't have to do Facebook Live. Uh... (laughs) Me too, (laughs) because
1: there are no pants
2: required. (laughs) We are recording this on Friday, Australian time, and there used to be a radio show here called Pants Off Fridays.
1: (laughs) It is Friday in Australia. It's only Thursday here in California. So outside of being able to work pants off and, uh, you know, talking to strangers in a podcast, talk to me about how that fits into the greater context of your business.
2: Well, it's content marketing and my audience first philosophy is it provides value. So it is how obviously I connect with people. It's how people stay aware of me. So the thing I love about a podcast is it really focuses you on the consistency And consistency in content is critical. You have to show up in some way, shape or form on a regular basis or it drops off. So by having an episode come out every week, it keeps me really focused on that. So that's a big part, but it's also how I fulfill what I do in that it actually seeds towards my own products and services. So I do make money out of it because that's the other question everyone asks me how do you make money out of a podcast? And I know you know the answer to that. I didn't go into it with a direct revenue stream out of it. I was never planning on having sponsorship or anything like that at the beginning, but I knew that I know how to plan my content. When I plan content, I look at what my product or service is. I think about how it provides a solution to my audience and I embed it in the journey that the audience goes on with me, they can take it or leave it the same way they can when they go into Target or Walmart or wherever you are doing your shopping. When you walk down an aisle, you can take a product or don't take a product, but I use it to create that journey towards where my products and services sit.
1: Most of the audience here is in the United States. We only shop on Amazon.
2: (laughs) So do we. The big moment where Amazon came to Australia, you know, and (laughs) we found out we could have free delivery. What?
1: That's amazing. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about the monetization. You, You mentioned that you figured out a way to monetize your podcast. Are you selling sponsorships? Are you doing it as lead generation for your digital products? Are you finding clients to work with? What's the path to monetization for you from your content?
2: As always, everything I do is multiple income streams because obviously one of the other things you find when it comes to content marketing is not everything's going to work the way you thought it would work at 3am in the morning where you have that aha moment and you think you've come up with a genius plan. It works in terms of obviously lead generation. So when I'm talking about a topic, I will always tend to refer to stories about some of the products or services that I offer or examples about how something worked for me. And that is actually really successful for me. So by embedding it as part of the natural conversation, I find that people then go and have a look and see what it is. And that translates into sales. I've also found that it has turned into a referral business for me. So people will listen to the podcast. I get messages All the time now on various places. Often they go to Facebook to do it, saying, Oh, will you do my digital marketing for me? Will you do my social media for me? The irony of that is I don't do that anymore. I'm not taking on client work. So, quite a few of my friends have managed to get a monetization strategy out of my podcast. And that is something that I have to figure out. I don't want to be an agency model anymore. I'm not going to do agency work. There's clearly a demand for that. So how I translate that in the future will will be another thing.
1: Referral marketing is always a big thing. <laughs> it's funny, we've thought about, you know, monetization strategies and and we talk about them pretty frequently here on the MarTech podcast. And we've been pretty hard and heavy going down the sponsorship route and trying to produce a high volume of content, publishing frequently, growing our audience as much as we can. And it's interesting to hear the path that other podcasters take and the value that they get out of the show. Not everyone gets to the point that you have where they're building an audience Talk to me about some of the ways that you've focused on building your audience and your personal brand so people have a sense of who you are and connection and trust.
2: I built my audience first. So I did not ever try and have any kind of offer or product until I'd built an audience. I didn't launch the podcast until I'd built an audience. So when I did actually launch, I was fortunate enough to have people who already knew who I am. They knew what they get when they come and listen. So I did start fairly strongly from that point of view, because I already had a mailing list. I already had probably at the time, 30 ish thousand followers on my Instagram account. And that I think was the game changer for me is that I started in that space and I have found that I haven't had to work that hard to grow from there because as I've then layered that on, people are naturally recommending it and I've probably reached a plateau point where I then had to start looking at what is my authority strategy and that is how am I then going to do that classic go out and talk to people on podcasts like this to start introducing myself to a new audience and writing guest articles on some of the blogs out there and things like that. And that was the next step. A smaller thing that I found has been incredibly good to get people involved is a giving back strategy in places like Facebook. So I will be in a group of people that I consider my target audience and I will simply add a lot of value. For example, I actually am a moderator for the social media examiner group. So people get to know me in there. They get to know me purely because I'm giving advice. I don't push myself. But if you know anything about Facebook profiles, you can optimize your personal profile. So you can put your podcast on there and you can put links to your Instagram and your website. And I know that a lot of people find me that way. A lot of people just see me joining the conversation and giving value somewhere else. And it's a breadcrumb and the trail goes back to my own content.
1: All roads lead back to Michael Selsner.
2: They do, don't they?
1: So Jillian, I guess the last question that I have for you is, as you've gone from the early stages of your career, learning PR and social media, to working a corporate job, to working for yourself and creating a content brand, creating a personal brand and a digital business... What advice do you have for people that aspire to be on their own, to have a successful business like yours that is really an information type business? What advice can you provide to people that want to be like you?
2: Don't be like me. Be like you. There's only one you. And that's the secret. Zag when everybody else is zigging. Be you. Stay in your own lane. So many people are looking around themselves and we talk about imposter syndrome, I'm less concerned about imposter syndrome and I've been talking a bit lately about what about me syndrome because people are comparing themselves and going, oh, that person's doing this and this and that. Focus on yourself, focus on your own strengths, be absolutely courageous when it comes to putting yourself out there and knowing that you're going to get it wrong sometimes, but that's okay because you will eventually get it right. You will. If you do it enough times, you will get it right. It may look completely different to what you thought it was going to look like, but each time you do that, it's going to be a little bit more of you in there. Stay passionate about what you're doing. If you love it, it shows. If you're doing it purely for the money, it shows too. So stay passionate, love what you're doing. And I would say if you're actually trying to get out of corporate, a really good thing to do is to consider that transitional strategy because there are no shortcuts to this. So few people can actually make a success of it in even a year. Some people might. I'm not saying it's not possible, but most of us will need a couple of years to really build our business, especially in the online world. So if you don't have the money to cover that, get yourself a transition strategy because it takes the pressure off. So when something doesn't work, you're not sitting there feeling like a hopeless failure who can't pay their bills because you can and you can try again. I think it's
1: great advice. I think one of the things that I've realized from the few times that we've talked and you alluded to this is that you have authenticity in spades. And I think that as you're starting to market yourself and thinking about building a personal brand and needing to build credibility and trust and building an audience, that's obviously very important. And uh, I think that's something that you do incredibly well. Jillian, I appreciate you coming on the MarTech podcast. I appreciate that your dog did not try to hide in the wall while we having this conversation. <laughs> Great to reconnect with you. I hope we get to continue the relationship.
2: I had an incredible time as always. I do hope you put your pants back on. For the record, my pants were on the whole time, folks. <laughs> Australians, we are so naughty. You bring out the naughty in me though too. So I'm a huge, huge fan then. And I really am thrilled that we've connected and no one could actually say anything more special to me than that I'm authentic. So thank you for making my day and thank you for an amazing conversation.
1: Pleasure to have you as our guest. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Jillian Bowen, producer and host of the Content Fix podcast for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Jillian, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You could send her a tweet. Her handle is the Content Fix, Or you could visit her company's website, which is jillianbowen.com, J-I-L-L-I-A-N-B-O-W-E-N.com just one link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and the contact information for our guests. You can also sign up for our once a week newsletter, or you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D or you can reach out to me directly. My handle is benjshap b-e-n-j-s-h-a-p on linkedin twitter facebook instagram basically everywhere and if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed we're publishing episodes every day this year so hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning all right that's it for today but until next time my advice is to focus on keeping your customers happy